Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. I'm here with our old friend Daniel McAdams, Executive Director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, also a former member of Ron Paul's staff when he was in Congress, and uh, an independent journalist who's traveled the world and reported on uh, the countries that uh, the United States uh what I call the empire has taken an interest in, in the past. And, and unfortunately we are here to talk about some sad news today, uh, which is the death of independent journalist Gonzalo Lira. Um, we just received word of this uh, a few days ago. And uh, Daniel, I, I saw your article on the Ron Paul Institute webpage. And of course we'll link to that here on the show notes Maybe you could just say a, a few words about why uh, his work was important to the Institute and, uh, and your thoughts about his unfortunate passing. Yeah, first of all, it's great to be on your show. Uh, thanks a lot for having me back. It's been a while since we chatted, uh, so I appreciate that. Um, I listened to uh, Gonzalo a lot uh, in the old days when he was doing podcasts, and there are a number of reasons uh, the, the biggest one was that he's, uh, yes, he's an American, um, but he's on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, and there's a real value to that kind of on the ground reporting. There's not a lot of American media that's really on the ground, you know, outside of staying in some luxury hotel in Kiev or something. Uh, it, there's just not. And so he was there. He was on the ground. He was providing his perspective as an American there. And he was basically debunking a lot of the nonsense that the uh, Zelensky regime was saying and that, and that the Biden regime was saying and the stuff that he was talking about, you know, a year and a half or so ago, um, you know, has all been proven true since then. So he was accurate. Um, he was giving on the ground reporting uh, and he was contradicting the war narrative that we knew uh, was wrong from the beginning. So in that sense, he was, uh, he was, uh, he was, he was. I would say, you know, you know, miles above ninety nine point nine percent of the of the, all the other journalists out there. Even though they'd say, well, he's not a real journalist. Yeah, he was a real journalist. Yeah, and he really was uh, low tech um, as far as I mean. A lot of the reporting he did, he literally just pointed his cell phone back at 
at himself and um and told it you know the way he saw it from inside the country as you said and and still managed to gather hundreds of thousands of followers on his youtube channels and uh and and other places um how much did you kind of identify with him because of your experience? I, I have the impression that, you know, what you were a little bit more um, established a reporter, maybe writing for for um, uh, more mainstream outlets back in the 1990s. But did you kind of feel a bond with him about what he was doing compared to what you used to do? I, I definitely did, you know, and I mean, he was great because you give him a ciggy and he's off to the races, right? That's <laughs> all he seemed to need. Um, um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to make what I did sound, uh, uh, you know, some sort of bravery, but, but, the, you know, I, I was on the ground and I was reporting on the ground and I was challenging. I was with a group that was challenging the mainstream media's perceptions. Uh, and, you know, it's the same routine that, that he got which is being laughed at, told that you guys don't know what you're talking about. You're a bunch of extremists. You know, you guys are dummies. You're, you know, why are, why are you out in the field when you could be sitting at the five-star hotel Rogner drinking $10 espressos in the middle of the nineties, that whole thing. So, and I admired that I admired, you know, and there, there were journalists at the time on the ground who were more swashbuckling like that. And I kind of admired that about him, that he was fearless and unfortunately, that led to his demise. And a lot of people said, well, why did he do that? Why did he Why did he speak up? Yeah, it would have been easy for him to just shut up. Uh, he was living there with his children. I don't know much about his personal life. I never spoke to him personally. But that's why he stayed there, because his, his children were living there. Um, he could have easily just shut up, put his head down, and done fairly well. But um, he felt the need, I think, uh, to tell the truth. And he did, and he paid the price. He paid a price that... 99.999% of journalists, uh, any journalist outside of uh, the Palestinian territories, I guess, uh, would be willing to pay because a lot of them have been killed recently as well. You know, it, it really hit me and um, thinking about him and in the context of now we've seen this happen to him. We see them basically trying to do the same thing to Julian Assange and uh Edward Snowden um, had the wherewithal and the uh, the know-how to get out of the country before uh, he was targeted, but um, and, and, and unable to come back to his own country for basically yeah. again telling us the truth. There's nothing that he said that didn't turn out to be true, um, and I, I, it it struck me that as cornball as this sounds that the the constitution the first amendment when they talk about freedom of the press these are the people that it was written for it wasn't written for anybody on cnn or nbc <laughs> i mean these people are not challenging the government not in the least and i i just don't think anybody realizes that even people even conservatives i would say who would speak up for the bill of rights. I have a feeling that a, a large percentage of them would never speak up for a guy like Gonzalo Lira. No. And you know, they're unfortunately conservatives and Republicans. I mean, they really are the mirror image of the liberals and the Democrats because everything is so politicized. It's only about, Hey, uh, you know, I want to do the same thing for my team. I think, uh, 
not to get off the topic, but a great example of that is when those morons in Colorado decided to not allow Trump on the ballot. And instead of, you know, in one voice, all Republicans and conservatives saying that's the most insane anti-American thing we've ever heard. They started saying, oh, yeah, well, we're going to keep Biden off the ballot in Florida or something. <laughs> so it's, you know, you have this kind of whataboutism or whatever, and it's 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 very sad. But things really aren't based on principle anymore. And that's a, that's that's, you know, really sad. But what the powers that be do um, when there are journalists who were exposing things they don't want exposed is they do exactly what Mike Pompeo did when he was talking about WikiLeaks. And he said they're not a publishing outfit. They're not journalists. They are a hostile non-state foreign intelligence service. And so you redefine them as non-journalists and then, the, you know, then you can put a target on their back and, you don't, you know, you can claim that you're not that you're not violating the, uh, the, uh, the First Amendment. So that's that's what they do. They they lie about these people. You know, it, it feels so much like it just it, it's getting much, much worse. Now, I, I say that though on one hand say that and on the other hand think well you know we've had journalists in prison in this country before during world war one by the wilson administration even during the civil war by both the lincoln administration and his counterpart on the confederate side Mm -hmm. um where do you where do you think we are as far as you know these basic freedoms. Are we in a, a worse spot than we were a hundred years ago, or is it kind of a cyclical thing where, you know, we we go through these periods where, you know, people kind of look the other way, and the government gets to run roughshod over people like like these. Yeah, it's it's weird, you know, and it's easy. I, I t- to be honest, I tend to be a bit of a pessimist. My personality, I don't know what you'd call it. Some psychologists may figure it out. But, you know, and I work with Dr. Paul and he's more of an optimist, um, but I tend to be a pessimist. So I tend to think that things have never been this bad. What the heck? I mean, they gaslit the heck out of us with COVID and then boom, we barely caught our breath and they started doing it again with Ukraine. Uh, and then boom, we didn't catch our breath. The, everything they said about Ukraine is proven wrong. And boom, here we are in the Middle East now facing a major war with several different countries. They're just not coming up for air. So on the one hand, you have this. It seems like it's way worse. And the price for telling the truth or even just opposing the narrative seems to be higher. But, you know, um, I actually I had lunch today with uh, with a fellow. You probably know him, Connor Boyack. And yeah. uh, he's the author of the Tuttle Twins books and uh, super nice guy. And uh, we're talking, we're chatting. He's talking about, you know, how he got the idea to put these books together. And and I'm I'm not saying this to plug him, but I'm saying that. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is something optimistic. This is something like me, you know, the inveterate uh, pessimist. This guy is writing children's books for young people to learn to distrust the state. And he's got a new one out. I forget what it's called, but it's something like, you know, true conspiracy theories or something. And it's it's written for, you know, teenagers, young teens. And it goes through all the quote unquote conspiracy theories of the past that have been proven completely and objectively to be true. And it's such a, a great service. So, you, you know, it, it's easy to, to look at all the negatives and feel terrible and to feel pessimistic and see all the war and murder. But there are people that are still, plan, you know, starting breast fires for liberty and freedom. And so, uh, you know, he's just one example of it. And there are plenty, plenty more. You are an example of it. Um, uh, and there are so many more. So I guess what I'm trying to say in a long way is, 
there are things to be optimistic about. The Ron Paul movement is still alive. The liberty movement, the freedom movement is still alive. Um, we just have to you know, figure out a way of, of trying to connect the dots better, I think. Yeah, and I think it can be easy to get discouraged. Really, just unfortunately, talking to your friends and and neighbors sometime. Now, you live in a a district that kept electing uh, Ron Paul to Congress, so I, I imagine your experience might be a little different than mine in Western New York. Although I must say that I I, I own a business in Erie County, which is deep blue. I actually live in Niagara County, which is. Um, which is deep red. And um, we're, we're, you know, open for business today. Uh, Erie County is under driving bans because of the snow. And I understand, you know, nobody wants to see anyone die in a snowstorm or anything like that. But the, it just seems like the, the bar for shutting everything down just keeps getting lower for the, uh, for the, uh, the local <laughs> commissars <laughs> around here. Um, and, and, and watching people go along with it can be very discouraging, but like you said, we have all these people doing things and, uh, I don't know if you noticed, I, I found out about it because I'm on the Tom Woods email list, but, um, it seems like, uh, the Javier Malay made quite a speech over at the world economic forum and, uh, didn't sound like it was uh, something that they had on her agenda. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I have seen a couple of things pop up, you know, and I would say I've been very critical of a lot of aspects of him and I'm still I'm still not a true believer, uh, but hats off anytime. I mean, I feel the same way about someone like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a true believer in him, but hats off to him. He took the media to task. He told them exactly what he thought about him. And if uh, Millet did that uh, at Davos. Um, that's great. You know, hats off to him. I hope they didn't force feed him any crickets or <laughs> cockroaches or anything <laughs> eating the eating the bugs. But yeah, uh, <laughs> we have, we don't hear any more from him either. Then we'll know yeah. what, what happened. But um, exactly, yeah. Some, I mean, I'll tell you what the speech he made um, compared to Ramaswamy's, which Ramaswamy's was encouraging, but he buys a lot of the uh, kind of MAGA. Uh, agenda which is fine he seems a little more libertarian than the than than trump obviously but yeah. uh but there's there's things there that we disagree with malay i mean my goodness uh when you get a chance uh take a look at that speech that he gave it was very encouraging and and like you i i don't know anything about him he could you know and i guess that's the other pessimistic part of this and i've gone to some weird places like uh you've got the whole uh well, I shouldn't say the whole country. You got half the country um, uh, wanting to elect Donald Trump, and they've already seen him in there. And the thing that hits me is he, first of all, he doesn't say all the right things. I mean, a lot of the things he says, I, I just <laughs> absolutely disagree with, but he says some good things. But when he got in there, what did he do? He bombed Syria twice. He um, he he went right along with uh, the whole COVID hysteria and now he's running on it uh he said he was getting out of afghanistan by christmas in 2018 then the generals yelled at him and he just backed down completely and let biden get the credit for that so it's like they've seen him in there i don't he's a kind of a conundrum to me i i i don't know if he's sincere whether he's sincere or not i don't know why people think it's going to be different this time I, that's not what we came here to talk about. What do you, what do you think about that whole uh, prospect? 
Yeah, I mean, I remember having to talk with Colonel McGregor a while ago. I think I was having lunch with him a couple of years ago, a year or so ago. And he said, we just don't, our bench is just thin. You know, there's just no one. And I think nothing more, this race showed more than anything, just how thin it is. Um, DeSantis was terrible. His performance was terrible. Um, his foreign policy is terrible. But I had some hopes for him. Um, obviously, Never Nikki is uh, is awful and a nightmare. Um, uh, Ramaswamy, uh, again, you know, I, I share your concerns because he said some goofy things. And he also, the thing that annoyed me about him is he's sort of, in many ways, the opposite of Ron Paul. Like he said different things to different audiences. And sometimes they were very different. And I, I chalk that up to his youth. I mean, I used to think 38 was old, but now that I'm a lot older than that, yeah. I don't think it's very, I think it's quite young, in fact. Um, but I will say this for Ramaswamy, he reached out to us several times. I um, mean, we had him on our show twice. Um, unfortunately, we had some scheduling problems, but he asked Dr. Paul to participate in a town hall meeting with him in Iowa. Uh, so he definitely at least understands that there are a lot of libertarians out there that don't feel like they have a home. Now, I will say uh, my friend Mike Rechtenwald is running on the Libertarian Party ticket, and I like Mike a lot. Um, but there are a lot of people that are libertarian-minded that won't vote LP. So I don't want to slight him in any in any way, shape, or form. But there are a lot of libertarian-leaning Republicans who um, who are not seeing anything out there. And Ramos told me at least at least reached out to them. Um, I know that Trump reached. I know for a fact that Trump reached out to libertarians when he was in the first time. And I know for a fact because um, I, I helped arrange a, a discussion between him and Dr. Paul when he was president. Um, and he saw the value of libertarians. He has not done that to my understanding this time. I heard someone else say it, so I'm not revealing any confidence that he's not reached out to Colonel McGregor this time when he had uh, relied on him heavily, at least those last few weeks. As you point out, he hired McGregor to get us out of Afghanistan and Syria with like two weeks to spare. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, I need to get out. Get us out. <laughs> well, Mr. President, I'll do my best, but we've got 38 hours. It's like a it's like one of those uh, 24 or 24 shows or whatever it was called. So um, the, the, that's a long way of saying I'm sorry uh, for saying it so long. It's a long way of saying, yes, I know Donald Trump is going to break my heart. However, <laughs> uh, I'm not a Donald Trump voter. However, uh, these last three years have been such a misery uh, that that I almost. I, I wish if, if I had to choose between the two, there's no question. Uh, I think uh, that I would prefer to have Donald Trump in there. Oh yeah. Me too. I didn't vote for him either. Um, I, I I've never voted for a Republican or Democrat for president my whole life. Um, Good for you. <laughs> and, and I actually had said in 2018, when he said he was going to be out of Afghanistan by Christmas, I said, you know what, if he actually does it, which I don't think he will. And he didn't. Um, I might actually vote for this goofball in uh, 2020 yeah. and break my 40 year perfect record. But, um, <laughs> but of course he didn't force me into that position. And, but I will say, I wish he would have won 2020. And I had this, this kind of instinct that had he won, there would not have been a Ukraine war. Although on the other side, he sent the money you know, and the weapons to them after he got himself in trouble trying to maneuver with it. But he's still, I, I don't know. To me, he's a complete, he's kind of a mystery because I don't know if he's a, a con man or if he is sincere, but he's just not that, uh, you know, he's just not 
he's not, I don't think he's a dumb person, but I don't think he like really grasps that there'd be something wrong with hiring, you know, um, Mike Pompeo. <laughs> if, <laughs> if, if you gave that fo- foreign policy speech um, before you got elected and then you elected Mike, like he doesn't realize there's something wrong with that. I don't know. Uh, much it's less it's weird. Bolton. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's and Nikki, <laughs> Nikki, uh, it's it's weird, though, because for someone like him, for he, he seems to have such a caustic personality. But at least I mean, maybe a psychologist can figure it out better, but he seems to dislike conflict. So it's like when he bombed Syria, yeah, he bombed Syria, but he could have done a heck of a lot more damage. He basically bombed a couple empty buildings and said, okay, guys, get off my back. I bombed him, all right? You know, it's almost like he doesn't want to fight with these guys, so he'll do something, but he'll do it in sort of a half-assed way. You know, it's 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 a weird it's a weird thing about him. It's, and also it's encouraging as, as a, to hear that, actually. I'd heard that and didn't know if it was true. So you, you think that story is true, that he really, uh, the bombing was a, you know, we a, yeah, just he dropped a key, threw a couple bombs over there, and boom, it's it's done. You know, I think we bombed the we bombed Yemen more than uh, in just last few days than he bombed Syria. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't say. I mean, he's like in that way though. He is the opposite of Ron Paul. He's the he's the anti Ron Paul because Ron Paul uh, would always go according to principles, and then actions would follow the principles. For him, it almost seems like the opposite. Yeah, yeah, John, you keep telling me to bomb them. All right, what the hell? I'll bomb them. Send a couple of bombs over, but don't hit anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> and let them know before we do it. <laughs> um, Weird. And going back to your comment on Ramaswamy, the thing that stuck out to me, uh, the whole China thing. So, yeah. you know, that's another one that that it just bugs me to no end that like when people when you hear something good out of uh, some of the Republicans, even, yeah, uh, we, we shouldn't be involved in Ukraine. We don't have an interest there. Da, 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 da. I mean, for me, the bar is a lot higher than having an interest to bomb somebody. You, you yeah. really need like, you know, them to commit an act of war. But hey, OK, I'll take what I can get. But then they turn around and come back with something like we should be focusing on China. You know, China <laughs> is not a threat to us other than they're they're building up their military because they're uh, in response to us. So, and it's so hard to get that message through or get that out of people's heads. They feel like we either have to be antagonistic to China or Ukraine, which side are you on? Uh, Very frustrating. It is frustrating. And I think, you know, I've always chalked it up to the fact that Americans don't travel. Um, They see these places as being some very, very foreign place where people are completely different than, than they are. And it's just, it's just not the case. You know, I mean, I've been to China, I spent a few weeks in China and, you know, I think if more people did travel, it would be different, but it, it is very disheartening to hear that, you know, uh, uh, this, uh, yeah, no, no money for Ukraine because we got to confront China. Like, honestly, it would not affect a single American's life if China did say, hey, we want Taiwan back. We're going to take it. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, and that's where Ramaswamy really he kind of lost the plot. Well, we've got to we've got to protect him for five more years. Well, until we can build up our chip, uh, you know, manufacturing capacity. You know, who's this? We (laughs) anyway, it is very statist mentality. Um, I hope he rethinks some of these things and I hope he stays in the game because I think he has a lot of potential. He just needs to con- connect more of the dots. Yeah, no. It, and I'll say, you know, there are degrees to all of this. I, I can tell you, I would live in uh, DeSantis's 
Florida. Well, I did live, I lived there before DeSantis, but um, I lived in Florida for 10 years. Um, but I'd much rather live under his regime with all its negatives than, you know, the, the governor, Kathy Hochul, as I call her, Kathy <laughs> Hochul's New York. Um, but, um, and and I and I'd rather live in in a MAGA America because there is some restraint there, and um, you know one of the things that I, also about the movement I actually thought that Trump was pretty sincere about you know by his own terms which are not Ron Paul's but about not wanting to have his foot on the gas with the with the uh, war machine so much and I always wondered if if you know, his followers were as anti-war as he seemed to be. In other words, if he said, you know, started talking like a neocon, would they all just go along? Um, or do you have a sense of that, of kind of that side of the party, um, whether um, there's as much anti-war sentiment amongst the actual followers or if they, they're just following Trump's lead? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to think that there is a nascent anti-war movement on the right on the right side of the Republican Party. Um, but then again, I, <clears throat> I don't trust myself. I might be fooling myself to think that. But there's no question that Trump was very clear. You know, he wasn't anti-war like me or you or Scott Horton or someone would be anti-war. I mean, he had his own way of doing things. But, he, you know, he ridiculed the warmongers. I think he even ridiculed John Bolton. He said something like, you know, if he had his way, we'd be at war with every country. <laughs> you know, yeah, he ridiculed them. Yeah. Yeah, more than <laughs> once. Yeah. So he he clearly knows and he used it to his advantage. Uh, you know, he was he was not he was not joking. He was clearly anti-war in the campaign and he won. Uh he may have won twice, who knows? But uh, you know, so I, I would have thought, you know, he must, he must he's very savvy. He's very savvy. Um, I think he must have thought that it would work in his favor, and it did. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's encouraging. I, I remember when the first Syria bombing, and I was really encouraged to see some of his um, his big supporters, uh, like Michael Savage and Ann Coulter. I mean, she's totally off the Trump train now, but back then oh, yeah. she was still on. But I was so encouraged to see them completely. Uh, uh, excoriate him for that, and I thought, yeah. well, that's that's good. I mean, I'll take that, right? I, I yeah. I'll probably disagree with them on some economic stuff, but you know, they they, I was it was kind of encouraging to see and how many um high uh profile Trump supporters said no, you don't. We didn't vote for this. Okay, yeah, we could have got that with whomever. Uh, so yeah. um, you know, and I guess it gets down to well, the last thing I wanted to run by you here and it takes me back to your article because in your article it's funny because you said it at the beginning and you said it at the end um one call from the white house or state department could have saved uh gonzalo lira's life uh and i guess what i it it, it, it's it provoked a few thoughts i mean one is of course you're right because the zelensky government um is never going to disobey Washington where all the money's coming from. Um, I don't think that he would have been bombing those civilian neighborhoods in early 2022 without the at least tacit approval of the U.S. State Department. And how much, you know, what goes on everywhere 
has nothing to do even with the president. I mean, even when the president is not senile, um, <laughs> you know, these these bureaucrats that are there for life really run the world. And uh, everything we see going on around the world, um, not, nothing happens against their wishes or there are consequences. Um, and, uh, you know, you could see here's a here's an American citizen. Now, we you know, uh, the the American government has gone to bat for other people um, uh, imprisoned or, or held uh, overseas. Not even a word about this one. Nothing, nothing that that uh, that the State Department doesn't agree with happens anywhere. Yeah, and it's very dis- disheartening to see that the intense politicization of every aspect of our lives. You know, I mean, all you saw were headlines when that uh, female basketball player was arrested for cannabis in Russia. I mean, it was a cause celeb because it was used as a tool to, to hurt to, in their, in their mind to hurt Putin. There was no payback for doing anything to help Gonzalo Lira. So they did nothing to help Gonzalo Lira. Their job didn't matter. Uh, and nothing mattered. He, you know, and I, and I would, I would chalk this up. You can blame Blinken. You can blame Biden. I would chalk it up to people like uh, Victoria Newland. You know, I am sure that she she was happy to see him go, happy to see him die. It was a thorn in her side. So really, really disappointing and disheartening to watch them do nothing uh, to 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 help this guy. Yeah, and, and he actually mentioned in that last video that he made uh, trying to cross the border that uh, he had found out somehow or other that, that she knew. He mentioned her, Victoria Newland. She knew who he was and that she hated him. <laughs> so yeah. whether that's true or not, I mean, you know, I, I, I suspect it is true. Uh, I guess like one more thing I wanted to ask you your opinion about is because um, I know we're getting uh, close to the uh, end of the half hour here. Um, here we are. It's uh, January of 2024. We're coming up on the two year anniversary of the war in Ukraine and Basically, the whole narrative is is falling apart. I mean, I don't know what if the average American still buying it or just not paying attention. But I remember Douglas McGregor being on the show, and and what a great way of putting it. He said that Russia has has seized this banana shaped section of the country, basically from from the central east all the way down to the top of over what you know the Crimean Peninsula. And uh, just uh, east of Odessa, and they really haven't moved since in in two years. I mean, they're just sitting there, and I have the feeling they're not leaving. How does how do you think this? How does the how does the empire, as I like to call them, square this and move on from it with Russia holding that territory? Well, the whole you know the 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 whole thing was misinterpreted, and I would guess on purpose from the beginning by Western so-called analysts, the so-called foreign policy people in the Beltway, because Russia was very clear. Um, this is not a war to take territory. This is a war for denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine because we judge it to be a security threat. And so it was, you know, you'll always hear American officials saying, well, we thought they would take Kiev in, in a day. They were close to doing it. That was never their intent. And they very clearly they very clearly articulated the fact that that was not their intent. What they've been able to do is sit there 
and wait and kill Ukrainians and blow their stuff up. And it's gory and it's horrible, but that's what war is all about. And there's estimates that Ukraine loses about a thousand uh, war fighters a day through death and severe uh, uh, injury. And if you're sitting there and not moving and just killing a thousand of the enemy every day while losing a fraction of that, you are winning the war. It doesn't mean you have to take territory. They don't necessarily need to move ahead. They just need to sit there and kill Ukrainians. Uh, and sadly, the, the government of Ukraine doesn't seem to give a damn about all the Ukrainians are killing. I think I just saw an article saying there are some 40-some thousand women now fighting on the side of Ukraine. Yeah. Although we're told they're winning, they're winning by a mile, yet somehow they're – and every time you see uh, captured and, and surrendering Ukrainians, they look to be 50 or 60 years old. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, Tom, but I am not in shape to go fighting in some trench somewhere at my age. Uh, so so uh, they're doing exactly what they said they do. They're wearing them down. They are denazifying and demilitarizing Ukraine, and they'll continue to do it until at some point, and, and the colonel is certainly better than than I am at explaining it, the, the, mil- the back of the military will break, and then they will just move in and take whatever they want and impose a victor's uh, a victor's peace on Ukraine, and that's what is going to happen. The colonel was Colonel McGregor was saying that from the very beginning. Him, him, and others, Larry Johnson, Scott Ritter, and a few others were saying it from the very beginning, and that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and and I guess at that point, then um, the foreign policy establishment in Washington will will tell us, well, we never intended to uh, expel <laughs> Russia from all of Ukrainian territory. <laughs> Just like we, you know, we never told you the uh, vaccine was going to uh, prevent transmission. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, it's, it's great to have you here. I hope we can talk again soon. Um, I try to make it down uh, Labor Day weekend for the event that you, uh, that the Ron Paul Institute hold. I didn't make it this year, but I'm, I'm sure I'll make it, uh, or I didn't make it this past September. I'm going to try to make it next September. What else is coming up for the, for the Institute before then? Well, we're working on a, a spring conference down here in the Houston area. We don't have the, all the details, but we're looking at something in April, uh, and we will we will most definitely, uh, with uh, you know God willing, do our yearly conference in this in the uh, D.C. area late August, early September, sometime. Uh, and we may throw a couple of other things there in the mix as well. Uh, so we'll be doing our get-togethers, which are very important for us. It's important for us all to get together in person. Uh, even though we're in a Zoom world, we have to make personal connections. So that's why we do it. And we'll continue to do our best every day on the Ron Paul Liberty Report. All right. Well, we'll link to all that and keep me posted on any events. And uh, as I said, hopefully we'll we'll talk again soon with uh, happier news to discuss. Thank you, Tom. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to itsthefedstupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.